This is the Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwell, United States Marine Corps retired. We continue this week with the leaders from Convention of States. Conventionofstates.com. If you haven't been there, you need to go check it out. We have millions of leaders and volunteers out there standing up in this great grassroots army. They're doing something. They're standing up for their country, and we need millions more. Jonathan Viad is a regional director for the Convention of State. Great patriot. He is on the podcast today. You're not going to want to miss his story on how he got involved in Convention of States. It is a blessing for him to be with this organization. Without further ado, simple, lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Patriot Cause, and you're talking with the Gunny. I got day four of the Convention of States Week. Another awesome, great guest that is joining us today. Leaders around the country in our organization and in the field are going to be part of the Patriot Cause. So you can see and hear from those individuals like the rest of us that are just kind of fed up. But it's easy to be fed up, but it's a lot harder to do something about it. That's where we come into play. How can you get involved and how can you become part of the Convention of States? Great patriot. His name is Jonathan Viad, and he is a regional director for our past states, the states that have passed the Convention of States. He's a great leader. He's doing awesome things, growing the self-governance which is what is important to us. So without further ado, thank you so much, Jonathan, for being on the Patriot Cause. Oh, it's an honor, bud. I really appreciate it. Great to be on with the gunny. Um, but, you know, it's actually kind of funny because I'm usually the one doing the interviews, right, with COS at home and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool to be on the opposite side of things here. And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share a little bit and talk with everyone. You bet, brother. It's that's that's what it's all about. It's just getting the voice out. If we don't talk, nobody hears you. That's that's how, how it is. If you don't say anything, if you don't stand up, nobody's going to hear you. So you have Absolutely. no voice unless you actually do talk. What convinced you? What changed you from understanding that America was all good to go and everything was happening, apple pie, baseball, and all that? Then all of a sudden we determined, wait a minute, there's an issue going on. There's a problem with our country going the other direction. So how did that come into your heart and what led you into convincing the states? Absolutely. Uh, that's a great question. You know, it's funny when, when I get asked that question, I try to come up with like a shorter version of my story, but like we were talking about before, I think it, it in order for people to really understand me and my journey my COS story actually starts before Convention of States even existed. 
so for me, I grew up in a small town in New Jersey called Bogota, New Jersey. Uh, mm. It was uh, less than a square mile, the town, uh, but there were 8,000 people packed into that less than square mile. Uh, and I, I, it was one of those towns where everyone kind of knew who you were. Um, I went to a high school and graduated in a class of 73. Um, but it was nice because you also had that really close connection to the community. From there, when I graduated from, from high school, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I bounced around in, in a couple of different colleges, uh, ultimately settled on pursuing uh, a degree in uh, teaching because I wanted to be a history mm. teacher. That was one of my loves. And my other love and passion at the time was sports. So I figured I could combine the two. I could be a history teacher. I could be a coach. And that's kind of where I, I set my sights. So I went to Montclair State University, another local school in New Jersey, uh, was on, on my way to getting my degree and, and becoming a teacher, had some difficulty passing the exam to get my teaching license. Uh, and then in 2011, my fifth year in college from bouncing around all the time, I found out in March that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. That immediately derailed things and kind sure. of changed my perspective a little bit. And I said, you know what? Uh, I think it's probably best if I just focus on getting my degree and then focusing on doing what I have to do to beat this thing. Uh, you know, I'm always, I've always been a positive person, bud. And when that happened, I, I kind of kept that upbeat attitude. You know, I looked at it mm. and I said, I don't know why I've got cancer, but I'm going to do what I got to do to get rid of this. And it's just going to be a speed bump in the road of my life, right? I'm just going to awesome. do what I got to do and get through it, right? Um, so in March of 2011, right before I was diagnosed, mm. I had to go for some treatment. Uh, and I actually had to go specifically for a biopsy. And right before I went for that biopsy, I posted on Facebook, uh, Psalm 23. Now, I've always been uh, a fairly religious person or had some type of faith but I don't know how strong my faith was, right? I grew up Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy. I, you know, was also a Eucharistic minister. But, you know, I had a faith with God, but I, I wasn't exactly sure how strong that faith was. Mm, so mm. anyway, Psalm 23 was always something that really spoke to me, in particular that one part, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And I felt like at that point in my life, that was something that really kind of resonated with me. So I posted it on Facebook and I'll never forget one of my aunts was talking to me while I was in the hospital getting ready to uh, have the biopsy. And she's like, could you have picked anything more morbid to post up on <laughs> Facebook right before you go under the knife? And yeah, I said, no well, joke. <laughs> I, I, I get what you're saying, but I don't know. I look at it differently, right? To me, mm -hmm. that's it's saying that even though you're there in the valley of the shadow of death, you're not yes, afraid sir. because God's Absolutely. with you. Uh, yes. So that's really kind of the way I looked at it. So anyway, the biopsy did confirm that I had lymphoma. I graduated from school, but also started chemotherapy treatments immediately. Things were going pretty well. It was from what I was told, it was like your standard run of the mill stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they figured we'll just zap it with chemotherapy and you should be good to go. And around August, I started to develop a bit of a cough. And one of the drugs that I was on, um, one of the side effects is that it could uh, impact the lining of your lungs. So mm. they took, took me off of that, sent me for a procedure to kind of check and see how things were going. It's called a VATS procedure or video-assisted thoracic surgery. Went in there, had that done. They sent me home a little early because Hurricane Irene was hitting New Jersey at the time. So I think they were trying to clear some space uh, for some potential 
people that may need the hospital after the hurricane hit. And I think because they sent me home a little early, I had a bit of a side effect where I had this pain in my back. So I was sent home on a Sunday. That Wednesday, when I went to my oncologist, I said, you know, I've got this horrible, horrible pain in my back. And he's like, you shouldn't be feeling any pain in your back. What's going on here? So he sent me over. I had an x-ray. My lung had collapsed. (laughs) So they immediately rushed me into the hospital, put in a chest tube. um, And, you know, I was able to eventually come out of the hospital after my lung was repaired and everything. And it showed that there was progress being made with the chemotherapy drugs. But another scan then a couple of weeks later showed that there was another location in my body where the cancer may have spread. So Mm. they had to, again, bring me into the hospital, do some more testing, another biopsy, and find out exactly if that was the case or if it was perhaps breaking up, the tumor was breaking up. At that point, Bud, I'll be honest with you, my positive outlook on things started started to go down. Yeah, and I was just like, I can imagine. I I don't know what's going on here. And I'll never Mm. forget, I was laying in the hospital bed and um, uh, a chaplain came in. And it was one of those rooms where you've got another patient next to you, the curtain drawn, and I'm, I'm near the window. And I heard the chaplain talking to the other person, praying with them and thinking to myself, I'm just, I'm not in the frame of mind. I, I would probably prefer to just be left alone. But my mom was there, right? And I was like, you know, if he comes over and I turn him away, mom's going to be disappointed. So when he came over uh, and he asked if, if he could read from the Bible and, and pray with me, I said, yeah, you know, please, by all means. And wouldn't you know it, he read Psalm 23. Mm, Look, I mean, it, it's a popular Psalm. It could have mm-hmm. just been on his list for that day. But to me, that was God telling me that, you know, I'm here with you. You know, you're going through the shadow of the valley of death, but I'm, I'm here with you. And it made Amen. me feel a lot better. Uh, obviously, I, I kind of changed my outlook and said, whatever comes, I'm just going to do what I need to do to get through this thing, like I initially said. Thankfully, it was the tumor breaking up. It hadn't spread. In December of 2011, I was deemed in remission, and I was feeling really good. Then in March of 2012, a year after I had initially been diagnosed, I went for my three-month follow-up with my oncologist, and he said, you know, things aren't looking that good. I want you to come back in two months, and we're going to have to go through some more scanning and everything. I went back Mm. in two months. And he said, you know, it's looking like the lymphoma is probably back. We're going to have to send you for another VATS procedure to confirm. I had the VATS procedure and it did confirm that the Hodgkin's lymphoma had returned. Really disappointing. And at that point, I found out that I was going to have to undergo a stem cell transplant. Thankfully, they determined that I would be able to go undergo an autologous stem cell transplant, which meant that they could go into me and use my own stem cells to combat this, as opposed to having to find a donor. So again, I began having treatment. This time I didn't have chemotherapy. I used a biotherapy to get myself into remission. And then from there, they were going to give me some chemotherapy that would mobilize my stem cells. They would then withdraw the stem cells from my body, give me some more chemotherapy that would kind of wipe out my immune system and then reinsert my stem cells to kind of reboot my body. So this was all happening over the course of the summer of 2012. Then in the beginning of September, I went in to have that mobilization chemotherapy, went home, and it was my birthday. And I was able to celebrate my birthday with my my friends and my family. Um, And then on my actual birthday, which was a Monday that year, uh, I started to run a fever. And it was a pretty high fever. And the reason that was the case was because 
my immune system had bottomed out from the chemotherapy. So I was in the uh, cancer center receiving treatment. Uh, I'm allergic to cephalosporins, which includes like penicillin, Duracef and those things. But because I had never actually been given penicillin, they said, we're going to try to give you some penicillin, right? So they gave me IV penicillin. Within seconds, I was itching all over the place. They had to pull the IV out of me. It was a mess. And I was absolutely miserable. It was kind of, again, you know, I'm, I'm a positive guy, but I was starting to hit a sense and, and, and I was dropping and that night they said, you know, we can't send you home. We're going to have to put you into the emergency room. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I don't have an immune system. Why are you going to be putting me in the emergency room? Thankfully, they found a private room for me in the emergency room. But again, I was just down in the dumps because I felt like here I am. I'm 24 years old. My 23rd birthday, I was laying on a couch recovering from mm -hmm. chemotherapy. My 24th birthday, I'm sitting here in an emergency room of the hospital because I ran a fever all day. This is, this is not my life. You know, what, no. what is going on here? Right. And I'll never forget laying in, in that bed in the emergency room. And, and I it was late at night and I was just watching the clock tick away the last few minutes of my birthday and go to the next day. And my birthday happens to be September 10th. So the next day, of course, is September 11th. And wow. <laughs> immediately I was hit with a wave of, just guilt because I was like, what's going on here? You know, why am I, who, who am I to be sitting here and upset that my birthday was ruined, right? I'm alive. I'm still alive. I may have cancer, but you know what? I'm still alive. How many people aren't able to celebrate birthdays with loved ones anymore because of what happened on September 11, 2001, right? Sure. 3,000 people just going to work that that's it their, their life ended and they don't get to enjoy their birthdays anymore their families don't get to have their loved ones for their birthdays anymore who am i to sit here and be upset because my birthday was ruined and again it was just one of those moments where my attitude was changed and i said let's do this i gotta get this done i'll do whatever i have to do but no more wallowing in self-pity we're gonna get this done awesome Later that day, I was moved up to the cancer floor. A bed opened up. That's why they had put me in the emergency room. There wasn't any beds available. So they moved me up to the cancer floor. And um, the nurses that were coming and going, they actually had to wear masks because they couldn't breathe around me because I had no immune system. And I had this one nurse, I, I couldn't see her face, but her last name kind of uh, caught my attention because it was similar to a last name of a buddy of mine from high school. And I had been up on the floor a number of times. So I had started making friends with some of those nurses and she seemed really nice. So I, I spoke with her a couple of times, eventually got out of the hospital and uh, Facebook popped up and said, Hey, do you know this person? And was that nurse? Um, so I was like, ah, you know what? I'll add her as a friend. I had added a couple of other nurses as friends. I was just kind of making friends because I'd been up on that floor so many times. Uh, and I noticed when I added her as a friend, now this is 2012, September, we're right in election season and she was posting about stuff with the election and she was a Republican. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, somebody from New Jersey who's my age, a young person that's a Republican posting about it on Facebook. This is unbelievable. Uh, so we started to talk a little bit about the election and just kind of go back and forth. Anyway, in the beginning of October, I went in for, or the end of September, I should say, beginning of October, I went in for my actual transplant, the chemotherapy to wipe me clean and then the transplant. So I invited her and some of the other nurses up to the floor where I would be on. And she said that she would come. She didn't show up. 
<laughs> in fact, none of the nurses did. Only one actually did, um, which I appreciated. But I went through all of that, finally got home. I was in the hospital for 16 days. On October 2nd of 2012, I was reborn. I was re-given my stem cells and rebooted my system. Um, and uh, that nurse actually reached out to me afterwards and apologized for not coming up, which I thought was really nice. I really didn't expect anything, but I, I thanked her for that. And then we started to continue talking. And I said, hey, you know, once I'm through all of this, I'd like to take you out for a cup of coffee. I said, but if, you know, if Obama wins, we may have to go for something a little bit stronger than coffee. I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> um, so, so she said, she said, sure. Um, and thankfully, lo and behold, that the transplant worked. Um, I had beaten cancer. And um, in November, after the election, obviously Obama won, I did take the nurse out on a date. Uh, we, we actually kind of settled on something a little bit more casual. We just went to the Cheesecake Factory for lunch. But I'll never forget when she came in, she gave me a book and she's like, look, I don't know if you read this book. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, um, but this is my dad's book. And I thought based on our conversations with the election and everything, you might enjoy this. It was written by some guy I'd never heard before. His name was Mark Levin. And uh, the book was Liberty and Tyranny. Uh, mm -hmm. And naturally I cracked open the book and had a conservative reawakening. No, that's actually not happened. The book I found to be a little dry because Mark Levin writes a little dry with some of those sure. books. So I actually ended up giving it back to her and, and not reading it. But we started to go see each other. We were, we were um, dating. And in 2013, after I had put the cancer stuff behind me, um, we went to uh, a dog adoption event where Mark Levin was going to be in New Jersey because he was working for the radio station WABC. I think he still is. And they were sponsoring the dog adoption event. So we went there. I was listening to him. He was hilarious. We got our picture taken with him. And I was like, I got to listen to this guy, right? I mean, this is, this is awesome. So I started to listen to him. For my birthday that year, somebody bought me his newest book. That book was The Liberty Amendments. That one I read. That was different, yeah. <laughs> and I was blown away because here I am, you know, I'm a history major, right? I had studied history in college. I didn't know about the second part of Article 5. I didn't know that that was something that could be done. But it, it, when I read that book, it was just clear to me, mm -hmm. this is the way forward. We need to use Article 5. We need to rein in the federal government. We can't expect the answers to come from them. We have to do it. The states have to do it. And from there, I was like, I, I need to find out more about Article 5. I'd heard about the, the Mount Vernon Convention that took place. And then somehow, I'm not entirely sure how, but I found out about this organization that had started just that year called Convention of States. And it just so happened that they were going to be having a debate now in 2014 between their co-founder, Michael Farris, and Andy Schlafly, and it was taken from Eagle Form, and that was taking place in New Jersey. I was like, oh, oh wow. yeah, gotta right. go, so, yeah. So I went to the debate and Michael Farris just, just wipe the floor with Andy Schlafly. I Absolutely. Mean, it's just clear as day. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to check out the, the uh, debate, it's still up on YouTube. I, I really encourage you. I mean, Michael Farris was just incredible. From there, I signed up to become a district captain right away. Um, along the way, <laughs> I, I married the nurse. <laughs> um, we married in 2016. 2017, I volunteered to be the state communications coordinator for New Jersey. Um, no longer being a district captain, felt like I could do a little bit more. 
And then in 2018, uh, Monica Sellers, our regional director, approached me and she said, would you be interested in being state director? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Been there, done that. <laughs> she twisted my arm a little bit, you know, as oh, some yeah. regional re directors do, right? And um, I ultimately said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do this. I'll be the state director of New Jersey. And I'm so glad that she asked me because it was the blessing of a lifetime to serve as state director for New Jersey, getting to build a team and really turn things around at the time in New Jersey. We had a lot of district captains but they were district captains in name only, right? You know, they were only people that were kind of written down on a paper. They weren't making phone calls. They weren't logging into the system. So we really had to kind of rebuild the team. And along the way, what we did was we developed a family atmosphere in New Jersey. And that to me was the biggest accomplishment that I could have as a state director. And then in September of 2020, so almost a year ago, uh, I was asked to come aboard, take the torch from Rodney Huckleberry and be the past state's regional director. I really uh, jumped at that opportunity. It was an honor again to do that. Uh, and then one last thing, I know I've kind of talked here for a little bit, bud, but uh, one of the things that, you know, again, just God being incredibly gracious and generous to me, probably when I don't deserve near, nearly the blessings that I've been giving. Um, but having gone through cancer, I really wasn't supposed to be able to have children, uh, but God works in his own way. And in April of 2019, we found out my wife was pregnant. And in December of 2019, in the same hospital that my wife and I had met, uh, my daughter, Erin, was born. Um, and, you know, it's just been an incredible journey. Uh, but, you know, it's funny how that portion of my life really led to being able to be in this spot right now, helping to try and save the country and preserve liberties. And the stakes are higher for me now than ever, now that I have my daughter and I'm going to do everything I can to do my part in preserving these liberties for her and for future generations. So that's kind of my story. And that's how I came to Convention of States. That is absolutely unbelievable, Jonathan. It's amazing. Here's how, here's what was going through my mind listening to your story. Job, you are a modern day Job. <laughs> the reason I say that is because once you got the cancer, once you got cancer and you had a, being approached with all this, you were facing this on your terms. You were facing this on the world's terms. Mm -hmm being afraid and, you know, all those kind of things. But at some point, God finally got you to a point where you realized you can't do this on your own. Mm -hmm. And once you realize that, guess what? He said, now you're going to see what you were really brought on this world to do. And he blessed you over and over and over again. And he will continue to do that. And I absolutely believe that. Your, your story is not unique. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. It's when we, as selfishness, like Mark and I talked about yesterday, about being selfish, it's all about me, 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 right? God says, fine, it's about you. I'll just sit over here. And then when you decide that you can't do it no more, then maybe we can have a conversation and get, get the business. Absolutely. You know? And that's, that's exactly what you did. I'm so glad that you had the opportunity. One, to meet Mark Levin, get that book, The Liberty Amendments. But most important was this. 
once you found an, a, a partner, that nurse, as you call her, once you found that, right, to me, that was the beginning of the new plan that God had for you and opened up your eyes and understood where you're going. And then it's great when you have other people in this world that see things in you that you don't see yourself. And this is what many, many people in our organization, in COS, this is how we are. We see each other for who we are and what we can do and work together. And that's just amazing how, how our organizations turned into that. It really is. And, you know, I've never really thought about it in the way that you just phrased it, but um, the blessing that was given to me by having my wife come into my life and really kind of help pull me out of that portion, that can the, the cancer and everything that was focused on that, you know, I'd mentioned before that I, I actually was struggling to pay <clears throat> to pass the uh, exam to be, to get my teaching license. And I didn't give up on that. Um, but after I beat cancer and everything, and I was trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Um, my wife, actually sat down. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she sat down with me and, and studied. And after her coming in, I had, I had tried that test three or four times before I got sick, didn't pass, came really close, didn't pass. The first time I did it after she sat down and studied with me, I passed it like that. Um, and that's, again, just another example of her coming into my life and giving me something that I didn't have and helping to raise me up. <clears throat> and I'm very blessed now where I have the opportunity as a regional director to kind of do that for some other volunteers as well, try to give them something that maybe they're missing or just to kind of help bring them along and, and guide them a little bit, serve them in any way that I can. And that might just be the missing piece for, for them, either as an individual or for their state team. Never really thought about it in that way, but uh, I really appreciate you pointing that out, bud, because it's amazing what God can do. Oh, absolutely. And you put his, put your trust in him, no matter what you do, and you're going to have ups and downs, but the difference is there's always hope. Even in despair, you're happy, you know, been through whatever different events in my life over the years. And I've realized that it's what God's plan is and we can't change it. We just have to accept it and, and have trust in him. What, what I would like to know is this. You and I are very common as far as the time frame. I also came in Convention of States the month that it was actually created in August of 2013. So we're on the heels of each other. And then same thing, became an SIA, district captain, LL, whatever, just multiple jobs I was doing in Arkansas. And then eventually became the state director and then had the opportunity to come up to the national level and help out on the national scene, which, which I'm obviously blessed. But here's the thing. You're a regional director now. Now you have all the different past states that have actually passed COS. And many of us say, okay, well, I, I guess our job's done and we passed COS. But the issue is, no, that's not the mission. The mission is to raise grassroots army of self-governing citizens. That's the mission. The, co the co conference is a bonus. <laughs> I mean, it's really kind of the way, that's where we're going. That's what we want to happen. But if we raise this huge army of 
God-fearing American citizens to fight back and push back, we're going to succeed. And, and so now you are in that leadership position. What I'm asking is when you go out there and you visit with all of your state leaders and, and, and do all the different events, what goes through your mind? How do you feel about these patriots? What keeps you doing and keeps you connected with the people out in the field? Well, you know, I mean, it's funny that you say that. And by the way, I've got a little bit of a, of a no problem drop in here. <laughs> My, my beautiful daughter, Erin, who we were just talking about. Um, but, you know, it's funny. You, you ask what keeps you going. And whenever we're out there doing strategy meetings and things of that nature for our state teams, um, we usually ask Mark to come in and be a part of it and speak and everything. And one thing that I've noticed is every time he comes and does it, I, I always say, thanks, Mark, for taking the time. I mean, Mark's schedule is just so crazy travel and everything that he does for the organization you know the fact that he takes time and really speaks and will answer questions from our grassroots i was just in oklahoma uh, a few weekends ago and he was sitting in his car because he was in south dakota just finished doing freedom fest there and you know he's sitting in his car and he's talking to the oklahoma team answering questions having a great time and he always tells me whenever i say thank you that it, it's an honor for him to be there and, and be able to talk to the grassroots because he feels privileged to be able to serve them. And, uh, you know, I, I actually sent him a message back this last time. And I said, actually, Mark, I think, I think the regional directors would agree with me when we say that we have the, the bigger honor because as much as we appreciate him being on and being there in video, actually being in person with the grassroots, being able to learn from them being able to build relationships with them, that to me is the, the higher honor. And I just feel incredibly blessed to be able to do that and to be there. They are what kind of keeps me going, right? They're, and I've told many of my grassroots activists before, thank you. I, and I, you know, Grant Martin, one of our other regional directors, I think did an amazing job at our retreat when he was talking during the, the uh, call that we did with our grassroots. And he said, I have to, owe, I owe you a debt that I'll never be able to repay. And I feel Absolutely. the exact same way because they are the ones on the front lines that are going to get this done. And because of them, because of their work, my daughter is going to grow up in a country that knows the same liberties and freedoms that I did. I mean, look, it's, it's, we are in a difficult way right now, for sure. But if we are able to capitalize on the on the incredible hunger that's out there right now for liberty and this incredible movement that we have built, if we're able to continue to build it and strengthen it, these patriots that have started it, that have paved the way, are going to ultimately see us through to completion. And because of their efforts, we're going to be able to preserve our country and my daughter and future generations are going to benefit from it. So I'm incredibly thankful and honored to be able to work with them. And I want to do anything I possibly can to serve them. And like I said, it's an absolute honor to be able to go out there into the field. They're the ones that give me the inspiration to keep going, as does that little one who just poked her head in there for a few minutes. Oh, Those are my inspiration to, to keep moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, Mark and I talked about servant leadership many times, and you have too. And you we talked to our teams about servant leadership and how the impact is on us being able to help everyone else. So 
It's something bigger than us. And that's what God's real plan for humanity is. It's not inner looking like or from outside in. It's from inside out. It's from you sharing your light and leadership on taking care of and helping those people. That's servant leadership. I am here to work with you and help you. It's, it's not like a hierarchy where you're sitting on the, a platform, which I've done multiple times in working in the government where I had this big seat as a CIO. And so people would come into my office and be scared to talk to me because I'm just, you know, sitting in this big seat and I'm going, oh, back the horse up. It's the other way around. I have this job so I can give to you, so I can help you provide what you need to succeed. But that's not how the world looks at it. The world looks at it. You have to climb this ladder. Mm-hmm. And convincing the states is not like that. Not and if all. we as a nation do not stand up, stand up as freedom-loving, unselfish people, the selfish people will take over, which, as we can tell, they're doing it. We, a lot of people say, well, we don't want to turn into a Marxist communist country i hate to tell you this we're already there Mm, mm. that is a fact we are already in that swamp and we've been there for a number of years especially over the last couple decades but here's the thing what's it going to take for Mm -hmm. americans to to say wait a minute enough is enough do they have to like knock on your door like the fbi and arrest you before you finally figure it out well guess what it's going to be too late so we have to stand up So you got a choice, like Mark says, you either stand up and do something for your country, your family, your children, your grandchildren, or you stand down, which means if you stand down, you're going to accept them to knock on your door and come in and and take your property, take your voice, take whatever they want, because you have stood down to the power of tyranny. Mm -hmm. So this is the key. How do we get people to stand up? What are the things that we do in COS and or are there other things that we can do, especially telling our listeners today on the podcast, what is it that makes it worthwhile to stand up for this country? Well, I think what makes it worthwhile is everything that this country has stood for. I mean, regardless of what you may think about our history, and we've had some dark moments in our history the United States of America has been the greatest country that has ever been created ever in the history of, yes, of, of, man, of humanity. And regardless of whatever obstacles we have had or difficult times, we've always pulled through. And the best of what we are always ends up coming out on top. And that's why it's worth preserving our country um, you know, it's funny, last night I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and um, one of the topics that we, we were talking about for the COS at home was with this idea of courage, and he quoted to me an incredible quote, I actually typed it in here real quick to make sure that I got it correctly, um, from Winston Churchill, and he said, fear is a decision, I'm sorry, fear is a reaction, courage is a decision, it's a decision. Yes. and we really need to decide to be courageous in fighting a back against this tyranny, whether it's from the federal government, from the state government, from local government, from businesses, from tech oligarchs, 
we have to be courageous and relentless in fighting back for our liberty. Uh, you know, Steve Jace even talks about the fact that the only mandates that we allow uh, that we have are ones that we allow because we are a free people. We have a Second Amendment that that backs up all of the other amendments. So we only will accept mandates that we tolerate. And we can't tolerate any more of this. We need to start fighting back. We need to be at school board meetings. We need to be at uh, town council meetings. We need to fight back everywhere. I mean, now look, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of different things to, to kind of keep an eye on and you're, we're gonna be stretched kind of thin. But I, what I love the most about being a part of Convention of States is that this is the solution to all of those problems. You yes. might say, well, Jonathan, how, how can you cover all of these different things? Well, a question we got last night from a viewer was, how can, how can Convention of States impact education? You know, how, how, do, how, do, how does that, how do we fight back against the federal government's overreach in education? Well, that's the beauty of the convention, right? Our, our, our resolution talks about three subject matters. It's to place term limits on all federal officials and members of Congress. It's to uh, impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. But the most important, or maybe not the most important, but certainly one of the most important parts of it is to reduce the size and scope of the federal government, shrink the government down to the size that the founding fathers and the framers of our constitution originally intended it. And we can pull it out of things like education. We can pull it out of things like healthcare, where it had no business being whatsoever. Okay, those are state and local decisions. It's the parents that really should be making decisions based on health, right? If you, if you want to have, uh, I'm just going to say it, if you want to have a, an experimental vaccine, it should be up to parents and the individual to make that decision. Government has no business whatsoever requiring you to get that vaccination. If it comes down to education, parents should decide, not teachers unions, not school boards, parents should decide what, the what their kids are learning and they should certainly not be being taught how to be a racist or how to feel sorry for your race or anything ridiculous like that. We yes. need to reassert our control in this uh, system of government. And the way to do that, believe it or not, is to come and join us with Convention of States, sign up to become a volunteer. We get to convention, but as you rightly pointed out, that's only our goal. Our mission is to grow that self-governing grassroots army, or I like to call it building a culture of self-governance because we need to reassert our control everywhere. And if we're able to do that, this is gonna be revolutionary, okay? Pete Hegseth likes to say that this is the American revolution without the bullets. And it's true, because if we're able to really embrace self-governance in our country, the way that we initially were supposed to after the Constitutional Convention in 1787, I mean, that's just gonna be a complete shift. It's just gonna be incredible the change that people will have in their in the in the way that they interact, not only with our government but with each other. And by using the tenets of servant leadership, we also incorporate the faith element into it, which will kind of help us get to a bit of a revival, which I think is also really needed in this country. So you're getting everything Amen. when you come yeah. into Convention of States. You're getting everything, and you have the solution to solve the problem. That's why we need to really embrace this. That's why we need to do everything we can to sign up, volunteer, stand up, like you said, and be courageous and relentless in pushing back against this tyranny. That's the only way we're going to preserve this country. Amen, Jonathan. 
throughout this week, like I said, this is day four, and you, you hear it over and over again. The solution is us. Take your fingers, point to yourself. That's what the solution is. It's, it's not the politicians. It's not some education PhD professor in Harvard saying, I got the solution. No, no. The solution is us, self-governance, to fight against tyranny, which is what our government has turned into, just like Jonathan says. Not necessarily just from the federal government, but there's a lot of state government people that are same thing. They're corrupted. They're inward. It's all about them. It's self-centeredness. And if they got enough power and money, they can pay people off, pay off their constituents and get votes. That's sad. That's sad that people would actually want somebody like that representing them instead of somebody saying, I'm here for the people of the United States. So Jonathan, your knowledge and your experience is amazing. And being able to work with the grassroots, continuously having that passion and that desire, I guarantee it's going to continue to grow. And the regional directors are a key part of this. It's a very key part. It's the, the, it's the, the glue that keeps us all excited at the national level and at the grassroots level, because it's amazing the great talent and leaders that we have. I'm going to give you the last word. Is there anything else that you want to, to mention to the listeners on the Patriot Cause? Well, I just want to address something that you mentioned before, Bud, you were talking about in the past states, um, you know, people feeling like, you know, our job's done so we can go home. And I just want to speak to that a little bit. Uh, I, first of all, it's so wrong because passing the resolution is only step one. You know, there's so much more that needs to be done. And we talked about just a few minutes ago, I was mentioning Convention of States as the solution to be able to solve these problems in all of the different areas. Well, I want to sh I just want to demonstrate how we've been able to do that so far and where we're going in the future. OK, so this year, the past states, we have 15 past states as of right now on August 5th, 2021. But this year, eight of those 15 past states engaged in building self-governance in their state by sponsoring and going after non-COS legislation. OK, so, for example, in Oklahoma, we were able to help the Oklahoma legislature pass a bill that would require all high schoolers in order to graduate from high school, they have to pass the naturalization exam. The same exam that we give to new immigrants that are becoming citizens of our country, our high school students have to pass that exam before they can graduate. Huge, huge. Indiana huge, yeah. also passed a, a bill that would focus on uh, civic, civics education and improving that in our school system. In Alabama, right there in your backyard, we found yep. out about a situation. Murray Edwards, excellent state director, reached out to me about a month ago. We found out about a situation where there were school districts that were allowing students uh, who are 14 years of age and up to go in and get this experimental vaccine without parental consent. That's exactly. just insane to me. So what we did was we put out a, a, a message to everyone. We let them know about when this was happening. We asked them to take action. These are ways that we're getting, getting involved and we're fighting back. So if you're in a past state, don't think that your job is done. There are ways for you to affect your community and really start to focus on building self-governance in your state. On top of that, right now, we have past states volunteers focusing on 
helping out telepatriot missions to try to get our resolution passed mm -hmm. in North Carolina. We've made uh, we, we've helped the North Carolina team and the South Carolina team who's helping North Carolina make over 4,000 phone calls over the last, I don't know, maybe five days so far. There's still many more to go. We've got a ton of people that are helping out in the past days, more that are coming on. You can help be a part of history. Many of, many of our past states volunteers, sadly, were not with their teams when we passed this resolution because many people did feel that, you know, hey, my job here is done. I'm going to go home. We've been able to rebuild these teams. They can't necessarily pass the resolution in their state, mm -hmm. but they can be a part of history by helping us pass in other states. Other states That's yeah. why it's so important to get involved and become a volunteer. So I'll say it again. Go to conventionofstates.com. Click on the Take Action tab sign up, join us, be a part of the movement that's going to save this country. That's what you need to do. Stand up, be courageous, be with us. That's all I have to say. I'm, I'm done, the gunny. I'll turn it back over to you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, John. Uh, it's awesome. I tell my podcast leaders, and I start off the podcast, virtually every one of them, if you listen to me, this is what I say. Lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. Jonathan, you are leading. You're leading a huge number of great patriots to succeed in getting our country back. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's, it's a pleasure being a team member with you and, and part of the organization together. And I'm looking forward to, to Nashville. Next couple of weeks, we're going to be together and having a big uh, uh, conference for the regional directors and the leaders where we get to meet again with the leaders of COS and and have uh, some bonding time and learn some little, little, little more information about legislation, all that good stuff. So looking forward to it. What a wonderful, wonderful girl you got there. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy. And God bless you and your family and have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you so much, bud. It was an honor to be here with you, an honor to serve alongside you with this wonderful movement. Really appreciate everything you do for us. God bless you, sir. And thank you for having me. Thank you, Jonathan. We'll talk to you later. Take care. You may not have the ability to do what we're doing. You may be in issues, working, all that good stuff. But I'm telling you, the least you can do is go to the conventionofstates.com and sign a petition so that your legislator knows that you support and stand up for America and the Convention of States cause. Article 5, to save this country. Also, please share this podcast. Email it, Facebook, Twizzler, whatever. Get it out there. Let people know that there's a way that you can get involved and do something for your country. Or you can stand down and let the communists come knocking on your door and take everything that you own. The choice is yours. Stand up, show up, and speak up. This is The Gunny Out.